0: today we are wrapping up three weeks. We've been talking about spiritual warfare in Ephesians chapter 6. And I want to kind of remind you of a couple things. So Paul, as he launches this section on spiritual warfare, he says this, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So, Paul reminds us there's the reality of a spiritual realm, an unseen realm, and there's a struggle in this unseen realm. Understood best as the struggle between two kingdoms the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light that goes all the way back to when Satan rebelled and then Satan tempted humanity and humanity fell and and Satan wanted to um, not not just serve God as as a beautiful created being but become like God. And he rebelled and he tempted humanity and since then there's been a struggle. There's been two kingdoms in conflict But the good news that Jason just read during communion is that at the cross and the resurrection, Jesus decisively defeated the enemy. Jesus is at the right hand of the the Father, all authority and power in his hand. But yet there's a struggle. And last week we mentioned there's a struggle. It's kind of like uh, Germany. In the few months leading up to victory in Europe Day, they were decisive. They were they were walking in sure defeat. The the Allies were walking in sure victory, but the enemy was trying to take out as many as he could as that bloody battle went on. And that's a good description of what we see now that the kingdom of, of the kingdom of, of God has come in, in Jesus and yet it will not come in fullness till Jesus comes again. Still there's a struggle. There's a battle going on. And so then Paul tells us this: therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then. See, it's a struggle, and you gotta be aware of it, and you gotta be active in it. And there's armor, he's gonna say, that you that you put on. And here's what he says: stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. With the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And so we see there, there's this big idea that the armor of God, and so often when we think in terms of spiritual warfare, Paul says there's a struggle and, and the devil has schemes and he's trying to exert influence behind the scenes. He's trying to um, influence you to live your life in a different way, to live your life into the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light. And I find it interesting when we think about spiritual warfare, oftentimes we think about um, some people, maybe, maybe you have this impression of like, you know, standing up and um, yelling at spiritual forces or, or things like that. But Paul says, no, actually, here's how this works itself out. It works itself out when you live your life according to truth. The weapons of our warfare, he says, are actually, it's truth. We tear down lies. We live our life. We orient our life to the truth of, of how God says righteousness. We align our lives with the way that God says to work. We live into the kingdom of light rather than the kingdom of darkness. We, we orient our life towards the gospel. We're ready that we have a mission and a purpose in life, and that keeps us focused. We have faith. We have trust in God. Even in difficult circumstances, we trust him. We hang on to hope and trust in him. We make sure we have the helmet of salvation, that we're playing for the right team, that we are saved by his grace, not because of anything we did, but just simply trusting and embracing and receiving the free gift of salvation. And then... We, we hang on to the word of God. We make sure it's planted in our hearts and in our minds so that we can withstand and so we won't be deceived, right? And then he says, pray and pray. Now, that's what we're going to talk about today. And let me just say, lots of people have questions about prayer. For some of you, you've had a lot of questions about prayer. Maybe you haven't had them answered sufficiently. And maybe for some of you, these things are part of the reason you don't have more excitement in your life or feel any sense of urgency to pray. Maybe if you're in a place where, you know, you pray, Dear God, thanks for the mashed potatoes, and bless Aunt Susie, um, and that's about it. That's what prayer looks like in your life. And honestly, if you were honest, you'd probably just say, I, I don't know, I just don't have a, I mean, I know I'm supposed to pray, I ought to pray, but I just don't really have any kind of, what, I don't know, I, nothing's driving me to actually seek God and pray. And I think there's some questions when it comes to prayer that um, are kind of the elephant in the room that we need to talk about. Like, why pray when God knows everything? Jesus says, your heavenly Father knows your needs before you even ask, yet he wants him, you to bring them to him. But wh- why, right? Is prayer even really necessary? Um, we know from the New Testament that, that God wants people to be saved. Then what do I have to pray for that? I mean, why doesn't he just do it? Have You ever thought about that? Um, why does it so often take me so, why is there so many times when I just pray and pray and pray and, and God doesn't seem to answer why does it take so long? And then for some of you, you have a friend, and it's like, it seems like every dumb little thing they, they pray about got answers. And they're like, I was running late, and I had to run by the mall on my way to work. And I kid you not, it was like Black Friday, and there's a parking spot right in front of Target. And I ran in, and I got the, the very last, uh, you know, sweater, I don't know. And you're like, serious? I am praying about, like, real stuff here. I have crises in my life, broken relationships, things I've been praying about. And I've been praying about those for, for a couple years now. And it seems like God just answers some of the silliest prayers over here, And but why not my prayers? Then when it comes to this whole topic of spiritual warfare, how is prayer connected with that? What about, like, and and... Why do we have to pray like we, we know, I think something we can probably all agree on is you've prayed for protection for somebody, for a loved one or on a trip or something. You've prayed for protection for somebody. I've, I've heard uh, stories, a lot of stories of people being woken up in the middle of the night just with a burden to pray for someone. And then finding out like later there was something big and serious going on. Um, I have a friend that comes here, uh, Roseanne, and her son, uh, she's known me since I was that high, and her son, Mark, was stationed over in Iraq years ago, and she would be woken up consistently in the middle of the night, and it happens so often, she would start writing down the times, and then she'd check in with Mark at a later point, hey, what was going on, you know, at this time? And he would describe, you know, this, this intense battle kind of situation that he was leading his, his troops into and experienced God's protection. And this happened repeatedly. <laughs> How many of you have had something like that where, where you have prayed and then later found out there was something going on there? Just raise your hand real quick. It's quite a few people in the room. I don't think that's just a coincidence. I, don't, I, I think that's too strange. Too many of us have had that happen in different areas to be a coincidence. But have you ever stopped and think about this? Like, what, what's going on with that? Why does God need or want you to pray for protection for other people so much so that maybe he wakes you up in the middle of the night? Is he just informing you that he's aware of the situation so that when, you know, the good thing happens, you go, that's cool, that was God? And if that's the case, why does he need to wake you up in the middle of the night? I mean, two minutes before your alarm goes off would be nicer, right? Hey, just waking you up two minutes early to tell you, you know, I'm going to do this cool thing. Your kids wake you up enough in the middle of the night, you know? But why is that? Have you ever asked those questions? Or is it just me? Maybe, maybe there's something deeper going on. Have you ever wondered, are my prayers actually doing something? Are they part of the process? And today we're going to dig into a couple of these questions. And so Paul goes on in this Ephesians passage. He talks about the armor of God. Now understand, the next thing in line is prayer. It's prayer and perseverance in prayer. And there is not a break in the section. This isn't a new section. This is part of spiritual warfare. This is part of the armor of God. This is part of resisting the schemes of the enemy. Okay? So, So Paul says this, "...and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests." With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should." So Paul says, I want you to pray. Pray in the Spirit, and I want you to pray for all kinds of different things. And then I list some examples. I want you to pray for people. I want you to pray for requests. I want you to pray for me. I want you to pray and not quit. Pray in the Spirit. And when you, when you see this, when you read this in Ephesians, uh, there's a couple passages in the New Testament that talk about praying in the Spirit. One's in Jude. talks about praying in the Holy Spirit. Um. um Another one that's pretty famous is, is in 1 Corinthians 14. Paul talks about, and it's a slightly different context, Paul talks about praying with his spirit in a language that his mind doesn't understand directly to God. This is the gift of tongues. Now, in Ephesians, there's a different, little bit different context here, and you can see because of the specific things Paul's saying to pray about. And so I think it's better to understand in Ephesians chapter 6, when Paul talks about praying in the spirit, Really understanding it as as praying in the power of the Spirit. Praying according to the leading of the Spirit. According to the will of the Holy Spirit. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and inspire your prayers. In fact, just a chapter back, Paul says, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a sense of allowing the Holy Spirit to control you in a way that you submit your life to him. And the same thing's true in prayer here. This isn't just a, hey, thanks for the mashed potatoes and protect Aunt Susie. This is okay. God, what are you doing in this world? Um, what, what is your purpose? What's your agenda? Who, who do you have a burden for? Who are you asking me to be aware of in my day to day? This is the sense behind this. It's a Holy Spirit responsive to the Holy Spirit kind of thing going on here. That's one of the things we talk about often here. We're biblically serious and responsive to the Holy Spirit. We respond to him and we pray according to his will and by his power. And Paul says, pray on what? On all occasions. And what? Always keep praying. Now, let me just guess. If you grew up in church, um, if you've read through the New Testament, you know you should pray. How many of you know you ought to pray? Show of hands. This isn't a trick question. Yes. Okay. I thought that was probably the case. In fact, in First Thessalonians 5, we're told to pray without ceasing. That prayer should be this ongoing attitude of our heart, a conversation with God that, that goes on. It's not like, you know, 30 seconds in the morning. It's throughout the day as things come up. He, he hears you. You're in communication. You're listening to him as well. Prayer goes two ways. It's not just you speaking. It's you taking time to listen to what his heart is, Right? Now, here's what I also know. You know you ought to pray, but ought isn't a very good motivator. In fact, <laughs> young people, um, what is your least favorite answer to the when you ask your parents the question, why? Why do I need to do that? Because I said so. Yes. Obviously. Now, Hey, there's plenty of times both in, our, you know, in your relationship with your parents and in our relationship with our Father God that we don't have all the, the information and we obey just because he said so. But our Heavenly Father knows this isn't a very good motivator. And so he doesn't leave us in the dark with why we should pray. But here's what I think. I think a lot of Christians don't really understand why we should pray. Why is understanding the why is really important. I read a book um, by that title, like The Why. Um, Start with the why. And it's really important. I remember uh, as a kid, like, you didn't, your parents told you not to touch the hot stove. And for probably for most of us, you had to experience the why and then you didn't touch a hot stove anymore, right? I remember growing up, um, my family, we used to, me and my brother, we'd have rubber band wars, and my dad used to love to do that too. And so we'd, we had some cool rubber band guns, and we'd have rubber band wars, but he'd always say, keep it like, you know, keep it bl- low, don't, don't aim high. And, and the reason he said that was because his older brother, John, when John was a, uh, when John was a kid, they were having a rubber band war, and he got hit in the eye, and for the rest of his life, he kind of walked around with a squint. And so anytime, like, we'd start, you know, getting careless, he'd be like, hey, don't aim for the head. Remember, Uncle John. <laughs> and consequently, still in my house to this day, ask my kids, I'm like, you know, the, the cop when it comes to wearing your safety goggles. I'm like, Nerf guns, safety goggles, wear them. Um, they kind of drive them crazy. But I understand the why. And when it comes to prayer, it's important too. And so I've got three different things about that you need to understand about prayer here that I think will be a little bit more of a motivator. So when you read things like this in Scripture, it's not just like, oh, yeah, I know that's something I'm supposed to do, I ought to do. But actually, prayer is powerful. It's something you get the privilege of doing. And here's the first thing. If you want to take notes, I'm going to have a lot of different scriptures. You may want to just jot them down if uh, you're a note-taking type, so you can look them up later. But prayer is spiritually effective in ways we don't fully understand. Part of humility is recognizing we don't understand everything about God. And there's an unseen realm, and there's a whole thing going on here, and we don't really understand it. God has not given us all the details. He's given us what we need to know. But when it comes to some of these angelic beings, and we don't have all the info. Uh, You've read uh, Frank Peretti, some of you? That wasn't the Bible. Uh, I think he did a really good job of, like, painting a picture and imagining what this whole unseen realm might be like. But we don't have all the info. In Scripture and prayer, when it comes to prayer and the effectiveness of prayer, it's the same way. But here's what we can gather and and understand without a doubt. Paul and the writers of the Bible um, seem to think that prayer really does something in the spiritual realm. That it's really powerful. In fact, it's interesting. I've read some studies. uh, There's some articles by like secular people who don't believe that there's a God who answers prayer. And yet they've done studies and they've come to the conclusion that prayer is powerful. It's actually doing something they just try to explain away you know the reality of an actual god who's answering prayer it's kind of amusing and sad but but we understand prayer does something powerful in the spiritual realm here's one of the things it does we see in scripture prayer dispatches angels in response to prayer god dispatches angels check this out daniel chapter 1 or 10 verse 1 in response to this incredible prayer and the kinds of prayers that dispatch angels are a are, are, uh, good-to-go note because he confesses the sins of his nation. He humbles himself before God. In, in Daniel chapter 9, it's this amazing prayer as he, as he tries to understand what God is doing and the timing of what God is doing. And then an angel shows up, and here's what the angel says, Daniel 10:1: Do not be afraid, Daniel, which is what they always say. That's like why you know maybe you have, you can be a little skeptical. Somebody says, "Yeah, an angel appeared to me. Did you freak out?" Then he, then he was in a disguise. If you didn't, okay. Uh, Do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for twenty-one days. Okay, here's the here's the powers, authorities, principalities, these territorial powers, the Shadim in the Old Testament ties back here, Deuteronomy 32, after the Tower of Babel. Um, the story, if you missed it, go back and catch up the last couple weeks because it's important to understand this whole conversation. But there, there's spiritual warfare and an angel was dispatched to go to Daniel. It says, as soon as you started praying, it just took him a while to get there because of spiritual resistance. It's interesting, isn't it? It's really interesting. In fact, there's another account in the book of Acts. Um, They had just killed James, the brother of John, one of the key apostles. And Herod then arrests Peter, and he throws him in jail, and he's getting ready the next day to bring him to trial. And here, check out this prayer. And this is, again, the kinds of prayers. It says this. So Peter was kept in prison, Acts 12, 5, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him earnestly pray. This wasn't just "Mm, good mashed potatoes, uh, take care of Peter. Earnest prayer. Oh, God, please show up in the situation. Move. Rescue him. He's so important for the work of the kingdom. God, please rescue Peter. They're earnestly praying for to God for him. And check this out. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. They weren't messing around with this. They guarded him good. Now, suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. Okay. Hey, and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. And they end up going out, and by the time they get to the street, the angel, poof, disappears, and Peter realizes this isn't just a dream. And it's a funny story if you go on reading because he he shows up. He knocks on the door where they're earnestly praying for him. It's like house church. And the servant girl comes up, and she's like, oh, my goodness, it's Peter. And she freaks out, and she runs back, doesn't let him in, uh, runs back, tells tells the people in the church, hey, Peter's outside. And here's how good their faith is. I feel a little better about myself because I sometimes don't pray with a lot of faith. Uh, They're earnestly praying, and they're like, no, it's not Peter. Like, no, God's like answering your prayer. And they're like, no, I can't be. (laughs) Finally, she convinces them. They're like, well, let him in, right? It's a great story. But an angel is dispatched. And something powerful happens in the spiritual realm that influences the physical realm. Uh, We see in Scripture that prayer puts demons to flight. Now, again, we don't understand all of this. And Like I said last week, as we looked at Peter and as we looked at Jude, caution and humility is important when dealing with these powerful principalities and powers. That's why um, Jude says, even the archangel um, Michael said, the Lord rebuke you when he was confronting Satan. So there's, there's not a don't approach this with arrogance, but Here's here's what happens. Uh, Mark 9, 29. Here's what Jesus said. After the transfiguration, there's this demon that his disciples were trying to cast out. And they couldn't do it. Didn't work. And so they ask him later. They're like, he comes down. No big deal. Cast it out. He's Jesus. (laughs) But Mark 9, 29, he replied, this kind can come come out only by prayer and fasting. Uh, Some manuscripts, of prayer in fasting. So he says, there's some kinds, there's some situations where demonic presences are oppressing people, and actually, just saying calmly, like we talked about, calmly saying, you know, in the name and authority of Jesus, be gone, um, it doesn't work. This that clings on, and what is necessary in that situation is prayer and fasting, which is really, uh, if you don't know what fasting is, it's uh, maybe skipping a meal or skipping food for a period of days. Or sometimes just giving up something like maybe TV or really hard, coffee. (laughs) Just don't be around people when you do that, right? (laughs) You won't be a very good Christian. (laughs) You junkies. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Me too. I remember one time I was at a missions training school in uh, Paia, Maui, this little hippie town in Maui years ago with Youth with Mission. And uh, we had this mission training school, and there was this young lady uh, that was being oppressed by a demonic presence. And I'm telling you, I, I was with my best friend. We were up in this prayer room, and down below in the basement, I heard unhuman, unnatural noises um, coming up from there. It, it was kind of crazy, right? Anyway, they ended up like praying for this lady and trying to help. Uh, got in this process of deliverance all night long. She was absolutely exhausted. And still in the morning, whatever this thing was, it not let go its grip. And I went up to our school leader, and I'm like, hey, God, just pop this scripture into my mind, which is a good reason why you need to have the word of God planted in your heart, because he just brings it back up to your heart and mind at opportune times. But this scripture pops into my mind that says, hey, Jesus said some only come out by prayer and fasting. So we call the base fast and prayer day. We spent some time praying together, fasted a couple meals, and whatever the thing was, was gone. She wasn't bothered by that anymore. She went on and married my roommate from DTS. Loves Jesus. Serves Jesus. Um, Prayer does something in the spiritual realm. It puts demons to flight. Prayer also initiates things in the spiritual realm that later we see in the, in the physical realm. Check this one out. James 5, the brother of Jesus, says this in James 5. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That's both a good motivation to live righteously in right relationship with God, and it's a really good motivator to pray. Because it's powerful, it's effective, it does something. And then he gives us this example. He says, Elijah who's one of the super prophets from the Old Testament. Elijah was a human being, even as we were. Saying, yeah, I know you've heard him. He's legendary, this prophet. But he was just like you and me. He was a human being. He says this, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. So what, what does James say here? Elijah prayed hard, earnestly, and something happened. And then he prayed again and something happened. And James ties this to his prayer. Now, here's the story. I want to put up a verse from 1 Kings, a couple of verses. Here's the backstory to this. And this is interesting because I want you to think through this a little bit. 1 Kings 18:1. Um, after there's this, God sends him to tell Ahab, hey. There's going to be a famine in the land. Elijah tells this wicked king there's going to be a famine in the land. And for us, we don't, like, uh, get this, a drought, rather. Sorry, it's not going to rain. There's going to be a drought, which will lead to famine. People will starve. For us, we think, okay, a drought. I can only water my lawn once a week, right? (laughs) For them, it, it is a complete shutdown of economic activity. This is an agricultural society. It's a big deal. So Elijah tells them, God says, this is what's going to happen. And then James says, he prays earnestly about that. And then God sends him back to tell Ahab, I'm going to send rain. Check this out. 1 Kings 18.1. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. Now, let me just ask you a question. Who is going to send rain on the land? Okay, a few of you, you're like, this is a trick question. I'm not answering in church. Let's try it again because this is not a trick question, okay? Who is going to send rain on the land? Okay, it's his initiation, right? He says, this is my idea, this is my initiation, and I'm going to do it. And yet, Elijah prays. Isn't that interesting? In fact, 40 verses go by. Um, there's this amazing scene on Mount Carmel where uh, the prophets of Baal, uh, they gather together, they confront Elijah, and they're waiting for fire to come back down from the true God and consume a sacrifice. And Elijah just taunts these guys. It's awesome. It's so cool. He's like, come on, why don't you yell louder, slash yourself more. And all these like 400 prophets of Baal are working themselves up into a frenzy. And then he tells him, he's like, hey, maybe he's asleep. May, may, maybe your God uh, is on the toilet. He's a little occupied right now. I'm serious. This is in your Bible. You should read your Bible. <laughs> and of course, with Elijah, uh, nothing works. Baal doesn't send fire. And the one true God, just a simple prayer. After they dump water all over, like jugs and jugs of water all over the altar, he prays, boom. God sends fire, consumes the sacrifice. Then they go after and kill the prophets of Baal. And after that whole scene, it says this in verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. And so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah came to the top of Caramel. Listen to this. Bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. See, James says he prayed earnestly. Now here's what we see from, from Scripture, from scholars as they read this, this posture. Number one, they believe this is the posture of earnest prayer in the Old Testament in Hebrew thinking. Number two, and this is interesting, scholars believe this is the posture that women in the culture would give birth in. And let me tell you, I've known some people that are real intercessors in prayer, which is pray with a great burden. And I know people that they, they, get, they pray so earnestly, it's like they have cramps. They, they pour their heart out. So earnestly to God. That's what's being pictured here. Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. Verse 43, he tells his servant this. Go and look toward the sea. The servant goes up. He looks, comes back, down. He's like, no, there's nothing there. Seven times Elijah said, go back. So here's the picture. He's down here praying. Seven times. Hey, uh, go see if anything's happening. Comes back down, up, oh, pray some more. Seven times. Here's the point. That's the, the Hebrew number of completion. It means he didn't quit. He didn't get to six and go, oh, well. <laughs> he keeps praying. Even though God said he was going to do this, the picture here is like Elijah births this in the spiritual realm. Spiritually, he already heard the sound of rain, right? It wasn't, that wasn't a physical thing. That was something he heard in the spiritual realm. So verse 44, on the seventh time, the servant reported, a a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot. Like his, his servant's like, it's just a wispy little like small, tiny. I don't think it's anything. But Elijah knew that was the beginning of the answer to the prayer. God was answering. He understood that something had been birthed in the spiritual realm that was now being seen in the physical realm. And he understood that, that the answer was coming. And so he said, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot, go down before the rain stops you. Get going, man. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Now, listen to what happens after this intense time of prayer. The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak in his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Outran him. <laughs> Dude's in a chariot. He's like, "I'm not getting wet, my prophet dreadlocks. Not gonna happen." Now, why did did Elijah need to pray when God had already ordained that he would send rain? Have you ever thought about that? That's interesting, isn't it? But here's what I see about Elijah. It didn't seem like he struggled with some of the questions that we struggle with. The existential question, well, why do I have to pray if God already knows stuff? This this wasn't just God knows stuff. This is God said, I'm going to do this. And yet, Elijah understood he had a role to play. He had to pray that even though God had decreed it, he still had a responsibility to partner with God by praying for it and persevering in prayer until it was answered. Prayer dispatches angels, puts demons to flight. It births things in the spiritual realm. It's powerful and effective, James says. Second thing, if you're taking notes, is this. God works through humanity, and prayer is a primary means he ordained. See, if you want to understand, like, okay, well, God is sovereign, and yet that means what he wills to accomplish will be accomplished, and yet we're called to pray. And here's what you have to understand. God chose from the very beginning to work through humankind. That's why we're made in the image of God. And and the way to understand this is we're his representatives or his um, stewards on earth, but we're not just managers who he does everything. He actually told Adam, name the animals, Be creative like God. Not that you can't create anything out of nothing like he did. But you take what he's given and you be creative with it, right? You look around the world. In fact, Psalms says this, The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given, or a better way to understand this, is assigned to mankind. Humankind has the birthright of this planet. He chooses to work through humans. In fact, I challenge you. I was scratching my head thinking through this. And I challenge you. Um, From the very beginning, this was God's plan to work through humans. And I challenge you to go through the scripture and find a time when God does not, in some way on this planet, work through a human being when he does stuff. He says, Abraham, I'm going to work through you. Noah, uh, I need you to build an ark. Moses, raise your staff. Uh, Just story after story. I I think I might have come up with sort of one but even this was to a human. He used a donkey to talk to Balaam, like the wicked prophet, and warn him. That would get your attention. (laughs) See, even when God chooses to step down and rescue humanity like had been prophesied back in Genesis 3, that the head of the serpent would be crushed, that he would come in, he does it as a human. That's the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. God, 100% God, 100%. Man, God in a bod, the incarnation, which is how Jesus fulfilled all the covenants. He lived a sinless life and died for us. He works, and that's why he's on the throne, and he will be for all eternity. Jesus. But here we are. We're his church, his ecclesia, his gathering, his assembly, and we are his representatives on this earth You are his hands. You are his feet. You are the way that he chooses to get stuff done on this planet. Not that he can't get it done without you. He certainly does. And not that he's constrained. He certainly steps in and sovereignly moves in situations. But the primary way he chooses to work in this world is through you and through me. And one of the primary ways he's ordained to work sovereignly is prayer. It's prayer. In fact, to understand God's sovereignty and God's will, you got to understand two things. There's a couple of different words in the Greek. One is lemma and one is bolema, or bule. And boule, it occurs 12 times in the New Testament, and it talks about God's counsel or his decision or his purposes. The other one talks more about the heart or the desire of God. And so you see scriptures like this, Isaiah 46.10. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. In the arc of redemptive history, Jesus is coming again. He promises it. He's coming again, just like he came the first time. We will spend eternity with him if you're here and you're a follower of him. That's a done deal. And yet we're called to pray. We're pray, called to pray for his kingdom to come and to work toward that. In fact, C.S. Lewis, as he's trying to wrestle this through, like God's sovereign purposes stand, and yet we're called to pray. C.S. Lewis is one of the most brilliant minds of the last century. He said this, the event in question has already been decided. In a sense, it was decided before all worlds but one of the things taken into account in deciding it. And therefore, one of the things that really cause it to happen may be this very prayer that we are now offering. My free act of prayer contributes to the cosmic shape. That contribution is made in eternity or before all worlds. But my consciousness of contributing reaches me at a particular point in the time series. How many of you are like, that's mind blown. Lewis is brilliant, right? He's like, hey, in the space-time continuum, God who created it all. Here's the best I can figure out. But prayer matters. It matters. You have the lemma, God's will. And you have, Jesus said what? He taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when you understand the dilemma, the heart of the desire of will, here's the truth. There are many things as the enemy resists, as he tries to hurt the people that God loves and keep people out of the kingdom of God, there's many things that break the heart of God. Because we are free will beings, he allows evil to still exist. Otherwise, you would not have the ability to love him out of a free heart. But that breaks his heart. That's why we're told earlier in Ephesians, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Live your life in such a way that brings delight to the heart of God. Your prayers matter. They make a difference in things. Prayer is a primary means that God uses to see his desires accomplished here on earth. The third reason why you got to pray is this. Our prayers influence lives. Our prayers influence lives. There's this obscure passage. um, Has anybody heard the phrase stand in the gap? Stand in the gap? Well, there's this this thing that Moses does where the people of God had ticked him off so bad, he's like, I think we're just going to start over with you, Moses. See, his justice necessitated judgment on the behavior of the people, but his mercy wanted someone to stand in the gap. And Moses does that. He intercedes for the people of God and God responds to that. We're told that in the Psalms. It's powerful. Well, later in the scriptures, God says this when it came to his people in exile. He said this in Ezekiel, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. What's the implication is that your prayers really matter in the lives of people. That's why Paul said, pray for me. Why? He wouldn't say that if it didn't really matter, if it didn't make a difference. John Wesley, um, a famous uh, founder of, uh, of uh, actually the whole group a couple hundred years ago of Methodist churches, he, he said this. This is how important he saw prayer. God does nothing on earth save in answer to believing prayer. I'm like, is that, I don't even know, do, do I agree with that? He says, this is the way I see it. This is how important prayer is. That's how important Wesley thought it was. See, the prayers of God's people have, have the ability to strongly influence people's lives. That's why you need to be praying for that person in your life that maybe doesn't know Jesus yet, or who's walked away, that God will get a hold of them. That God would win him back. St. Augustine, one of the greatest um, figures in church history, completely walked away from God. His mom faithfully prayed, 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 prayed. And one day God got a hold of his heart in this miraculous way. See, can God get it done without you? Yes. Will He? Well, when it comes to his sovereign purposes and plans, yes. But I, here's what I truly believe there's, there's a possibility that there will be people who miss out on all God that has for them if you are not obedient to pray for them. Because your prayers really matter. Sam Storms, a Reformed scholar, says this, We must never presume God will grant us, apart from prayer, what he has ordained to grant us only by means of prayer you catch that? that? That's powerful. Don't just assume. God says there's things I'm going to accomplish and your prayers are going to be part of that. Don't think you're going to get apart from prayer what he says, this is the means I've ordained. Are you praying? Your prayers matter. They matter. George Mueller, famous, one of the, (laughs) this guy was a powerful missionary. He started orphanages all over England, like 14 different orphanages. Today, they'd be valued at the, just the property at like $14 million. He didn't ask for a dime. He just prayed. There's a story. You can look up why i publishing George Mueller. It's kind of for kids, but it's powerful. In fact, my, we, my wife read it to our kids, and it really helped inspire my daughter to pray for her great-grandma. Which she did faithfully, and her great grandma accepted Jesus just about a week or a couple weeks before she died. But Mueller says this the great point is never to give up until the answer comes. I have been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He is not saved yet, but he will be. How can it be otherwise? I'm praying. You know what? Here's here's the amazing thing. Mueller's friend. That friend received Jesus Christ, but it didn't come until the day Mueller's casket was being lowered into the ground, and there, near the open grave, he he gave his heart to Jesus. And I think Mueller was getting some high fives that day. Persevering pray. That's why Paul tells us, "Pray." Ephesians six eighteen, pray. Don't give up. Pray, pray for me. And what's this prayer request? Pray that I may be bold to share the gospel, that I may do it fearlessly as I'm supposed to. Remember, where's Paul writing this? In prison. He's like, Pray for me. I mean, I, that's where our prayers would be. Pray that, that they don't treat me too mean. And he's like, Pray that I can be bold. We're like, Paul, that's what got you into the situation. Bring it on. Why? Because what matters is the kingdom of God, hearts and lives that don't know Jesus yet. That's why you got to pray, pray. Would you stand as we get ready to close? Winston's going to come on up and play a little bit. Let me just say as I share this, I'm not sharing this out of a place of like, man, this is me. I got this all together. Guys like Mueller make me feel puny when it comes to my prayer life. But here, here as I studied this week, man, this inspired me to remember to pray. To pray. Because it matters. We've seen God answer so many prayers in the life of this church. Things that took time. Things that took Perseverance. Who in your life needs you to be praying for them right now? What if your life was more of a, what if you experienced the power of God in prayer more? Here's what I think is, if if you start praying earnestly and effectively, you're going to start seeing some amazing answers. And, and God understands how this all works itself out on a spiritual warfare, higher level kind of thing. But what you're called to do is walk in his truth and his righteousness and persevere and pray and walk this battle out on the ground where he's called you to live. To love people around you, the struggle is what? Not against flesh and blood. To love the people he's placed in your life, even those that drive you crazy, you don't agree with on anything. To be praying for them. To be sharing Jesus with them. And as we close, let me just say, I think there may be some in the room, you are here because somebody's been praying for you. And for whatever reason, you took the invitation and you showed up today. It could be that the reason God has you here is because today's the day you have an encounter with him. The gospel is a free gift. He died for you. You accept and embrace and trust in him. And then you live your life as a grateful response for what he's done. And if that's you in the room, as we bow our heads and close our eyes, just why don't you pray a prayer like this after me. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you're the son of God that you died and rose again. Would you forgive me? Would you welcome me into your family and give me eternal life? I want to live my life for you. And Lord, for the rest of my friends here, I just ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would inspire them to begin to pray powerful and effective prayers that your kingdom would come, that they would be praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for opportunities being led by you praying about the things that are on your heart, and they would begin to see powerful answers. And this valley would be changed because of it, Lord. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.